Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. Hello, welcome to The Common Bridge. I am your host, Rich Helpy, and with us today, Patricia Posner. It's a very renowned author, led a very interesting life with many topics. Common Bridge, of course, at Substack.com. Just search for The Common Bridge, free podcast on most outlets, YouTube TV. Look us up, subscribe, and join us. First of all, let me thank you to say, nice to be with you. Well, I'm very, very happy that you're doing this, and you're, you're in London today. No, no, I'm in actually Miami. Okay, you're in Miami. That's very good. So are we living in an unusual age? Gender, science, medical care, perspective. We're bombarded all the time. Is it just, is it awareness? Is it language? Is it both? And so we do, we welcome our author and commentator, Trisha Posner, to talk about all this and to raise some, you know, some serious questions about our language, our society, and the impact on women. Trisha, again, welcome. And thank you for having me. Your writing is amazing. 35 years, 13 books of investigative nonfiction, done the interviews, sifted through the thousands of pages of original documents. And I understand your husband, uh, Gerald Posner, helps out in that regard every now and then. No, well, I'm the helper. He's, I, um, he occasionally does, you know, occasionally, but, um, I find the books that we write really interesting. And this subject that you're talking about now um, only came up because of a situation I was in for medical reasons. And it's been bothering myself and many of my friends for quite a while. And um, people are just very fearful to talk about this subject. Indeed. And I'm listening to people tiptoe around calling a, a pregnant person or a lactating person. It's like, all of the strides women have made in my lifetime. It's like that's all going to be tossed. And you write a column about developments in women's health, hormone replacement theory. You've authored a book called This Is Not Your Mother's Menopause. And the breadth of your writing, the bestseller, The Pharmacist of Auschwitz, Untold Story, has been translated to 16 languages. That is a major lift. You've been in the Wall Street Journal, Salon, Huffington Post, the Daily Beast, and I hope all my listeners, viewers, readers are going to hear this. Not only has she been on NBC's Today Show, she's been on MSNBC and Fox. It must have been an error before they quit um, welcoming guests from the, quote, other side. Trisha also maintains a no anti-Semitism Facebook page. And uh, today we're going to dive right into a topic that's affected you personally her full bio, by the way, is at our substack.com page for The Common Bridge. And Patricia, anything else you want to fill us in about you, your early days, your academic, maybe a little bit more about your background? I was originally, I mean, I was born in London, in England. Um, I did not have a full education because of circumstances. And um, I left school, actually, believe it or not, at 16. So mm-hmm. I'm living proof. If I could have gone further in my education, I would have just really would have loved to um, because I just have a voracious, you know, to learn, understand, 
And meeting someone like Gerald Parsons, my husband, really took me into that other region where I could really dig into everything, especially with his subjects and his books. I came to America in 1978, uh, New York, actually, um, and then met Gerald on a blind date. And um, ever since then, it's been an adventure. And as you said, 13 books later, many articles. And then we ended up here in Miami, Florida. Well, we could be talking about a lot of things. And hopefully you'll be willing to guest again. But for the time we've got today, let's pick on one that's more controversial. Let's see where people agree and where they don't. I think it's someplace between the Taliban on one side and the language police on the other, just to express my confusion of this. Patricia, you authored a column recently for the Wall Street Journal, and the title of it was, When Did Woman Become a Dirty Word? What's the column about? Why'd you write it? Well, first of all, I don't understand why this should even be controversial. As I wrote in the article, there is no, I have nothing against what your sexual desires are, who you identify as. I, full disclosure, I had, was diagnosed last year with breast cancer. So um, I ended up with my first operation and the nurse, and I don't think she meant anything bad by it whatsoever, just when you're filling in the forms, you know, all the different things about the chest cancer. And then when that came up, I was just like so baffled. And Gerald was not with me at the time because at that time um, you could still not go into the hospitals. And I didn't know what she meant, to be quite honest with you. And um, it was just a very, very, very strange experience for me personally. And I know men can get uh, chest cancer as 1%. Um, and I just kept thinking of how language had changed, like you said. And um, uh, and I told her, I'm, I, you know, I'm a woman, I have breast cancer. But it, it seems to be now that it's either their way or no way. There's no compromise. And so I decided to do a little research. And when I did research, I found out how the language has changed so much. Not you know for different parts of the women's body, and um, and then I did I noticed that in Biden's budget he was using um, you know for, for the research um, you know and then there was Harvard med- Medical I mean it went on and on and on and on and I started speaking to people about it and I found that all my female friends just were too scared to say anything they all felt the same. But they were just too scared. They were going to be cancelled. Uh, they would be called a, uh, you know, um, for, for some odd reason, if you talk like this, you're called a Republican for whatever reason that is, you know, uh, transphobic. Then, of course, you had J.K. Rowling's, who really stood up to everybody, and they cancelled her. Mm-hmm. But then for me, there wasn't much to cancel. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, then I looked at the U.K. health project and they had a woman with a man sitting next to her with a pregnant man it just seemed all a bit bonkers to me well you you called out some of that in your column and i can see where your investigative skills come in you talk about a member of congress referring to a menstruating person's body and another talking about birthing people 
and human milk versus breast milk and so forth. Human milk is just so bizarre. I find so much of this stuff so bizarre because why do you have to keep on changing the language? Um, you keep saying you want rights, civil rights, human rights, whatever. What, then just coexist with me. I don't call it that. I, I mean, what about biology? What about when, when we had the, the virus, right, the COVID around, everybody said science, 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 science. And we have to go with the science. We have to go with the science. But here we don't go with the science. Every day there's people that are born with nonspecific genitalia. So, so for example, there are, and I've talked to OB-GYNs about this, they might find a, a vagina, but also testicles or a penis, but also the person has ovaries. This does happen. They're very rare and we need to treat everyone with dignity. But also I did a lot of work in medical records for a long time and getting the accuracy. And one of the things that you do is you take a cross check of the diagnosis or the treatment with the gender to see if it makes sense at all. That's one of the quality checks for did the information get recorded correctly? I understand there can be exceptions to that, but to try to make everybody down this rule seems to be taking us not only away from science, but away from clear communication. Who's backing this and why? I don't have a problem if you're binary, bisexual, all the, you know, pansexual, whatever you want, but just stop erasing women because there's a very strange thing that I notice. So, no disrespect to men, please, okay? But back in the day, women were in the kitchen with the aprons on, washing the dishes, taking care of the kids, blah, blah, blah. Right. So we've moved way ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, we have men transitioning to women doing it to us again. And so I have this, this theory, it's called pulling up the drawbridge behind, that there are women today that have benefited from all of the positive actions we've taken in the society to open doors, to provide more opportunity. And they seem to be the loudest voices in the erasure of women. I know. And I keep saying to Gerald, my husband, I say, where are like the glorious Sinems? Where's the Jane Fonders? Why aren't the warrior women out there? I, I, it's just like we're letting this happen. And it's happening under the surface, on top of the surface. and. When a woman can be on television and say, when they ask her, can you defy a woman? And the woman can't say, no, I can't. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's just, I got over a thousand emails and direct messages from men, women, gay, straight, bi, all different nationalities, lawyers, doctors, homemakers, and they all thanked me. I was really... Um, Joe was very nervous because he thought I was going to get some really nasty people saying some horrible stuff to me. And I really did not. I got a couple of transgender people that just said to me, well, you really don't understand what we're going through. And that was fair. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, this silence is really dangerous because I don't have any children, by the way. We do not have any children. So it's not like I'm worrying um, about the next generation or my grandchildren, which I'm old enough to be a grandmother. Um, it, it's, um, it's very, very scary. I believe there are people that are all of those things, non-binary. I mean, there's parts of science that there's organisms that have nine genders in one that human beings may 
need to adjust their externals to agree with the internals that does incur. But here's what in my reading, and you can share this or not, but the enthusiastic supporters of degendering the language, they've kind of insist that, you know, this is like when we changed from the vernacular of miss and missus, and we just went to miss, it's the same thing. Or, you know, we went from the polite term to refer to a person of color was Negro, then black, then African-American, now person of color. But I look at these and in both of these examples, the people of the population are expressing how they'd like to be identified. So are we just referring to a segment of the population or is what we're experiencing something different? It's hard to say because I think that we, because of social media, I, I, I mean, social media has been very good to us because that's how we sell our books and everything. Um, things become trends. And what worries me that this is becoming a trend or Monday I feel like a girl and Tuesday I feel like a boy because I do have friends that have transitioned. Many, many years ago I have one girlfriend, uh, she's a friend, she's now 68. And so I have, I understand what's going on. But the trending is very scary. And also when it becomes to the point where a man can identify as a woman when he has all the male parts and get into a ladies' room or a dressing room or a toilet, I think this is very scary for a lot of us women because it's it's scary in so many ways if you've got safe houses for women where they're being protected from domestic violence, it, a man can say, I identify as a woman, and he doesn't have to be on hormones or had any surgery whatsoever. So it's gone, you know, female prisons. Look at the female prison in New Jersey, where they can not only go into the female prison, they can go back to the male prison. It's almost like a, a Monty Python movie or something. It's not. It's like it's not real. It's like, oh, is this really happening? California recently, their law was struck down that required a certain percentage of women on corporate boards. And I, I thought about that. And, okay, what's to stop the current board from just identifying the way they wish to? I mean, it's look, it's the point of absurdity. We all want to be sensitive to people that, and I've known people that were transsexual people and, you know, very comfortable in their own skin and they need to be supported. They need to have all the right healthcare services and such, and to live with dignity and not in fear and be able to live where they want to live and work where they want to work and so forth. I don't think anybody's denying that, but if you suggest that maybe we could damage other people, then you get all of the, the hate speech. But I also ask myself these questions. When will women's studies degree become a thing of the past? And what about the degree holders? There's people out there today that have bachelor's, master's, and doctorates in women's studies. And I invite anybody to go look in your, your search engine. It's a top 10 schools for women's studies. How can you have women's studies if you can't define woman? I think it's like, you know, women's sports, women's health care. I mean, now that, say, in New York, you can put uh, on your driver's license X, there are consequences to this. So when they do a census and, they're, you know, they're, they're doing the census on women and men and they're looking to do for research on breast cancer, for example, uterine cancer, prostate cancer, you know, we're going to suffer. 
financially in those areas because kids are kids and they're, they're for X, you know, for their gender just to fall around. Um, it's just, it's really, it's just crazy. And you, you, you know, I have transgender friends and my transgender friends don't feel the way that these people are talking you know, the erasing of women in this way. It, maybe it's generational. The political climate that we're in today is that everything is divided into teams and it's polarization, which is what we're dealing with on this podcast. And this. But how can you have, you know, women's sports, I mean, which will be erased if you have biological born males? Well, look, the Title IX opportunities, I think, are at risk. I have a number of older sisters, and my oldest sister was a really good athlete. But there wasn't even a competitive swimming team for her to be on at high school. There wasn't a competitive softball team for her to be on. And I think she she was denied those opportunities just because uh, she was seven years older than me. I think it's much better today that there's equal or better opportunities for young women to participate in sports. Yet, you know, the elephant in the rooms, Leah Thompson. Uh, competitors are afraid to speak out. They're going to be seen as transphobic. I just think if, if I could encourage them, they should all just boycott. That's it. Dumb. Sometimes you have to make huge sacrifices in life. I would look at a young lady, a college swimmer, let's say she's 20. She's been in the pool a lot since she's been seven or eight years old. It takes hours and hours. You get up before school, you swim after school, you travel to meets, you watch what you eat and toss all of that. I think that's a big ask. There's seems there's got to be some more fair way to do this. I don't know how, because if you continue this way, biological males will dominate women's sport. There will no longer be you know, these these women, women, girls, whatever you want, it will not be, it just won't happen. So there has to be an answer. You know, my answer is very strident, I understand, to say boycott, but I don't know what other way there is. March, do something. They're not, these girls are not transphobic. They've come out and said they're afraid if they say anything that when they go looking for a job, that that's how they're going to be interpreted. Look at professional sports. So the WNBA has really done a nice job advancing professional basketball opportunities for women. And there's some nascent professional women's hockey leagues as well. But what should the WNBA call itself and what standards should they have about eligibility to participate in that league? If you were in charge of the WNBA, what would you call it? And how would you tell people whether they were eligible or ineligible? Well, if you're biologically born a male, to me, I'm sorry, I'm just very black and white on this. It is what it is. I mean, you never really hear about the other side, do we, much, about a woman becoming a boy and competing. That's very, um, I mean, I don't know if there should be a competitive for different race for, for the trans community. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not in sports. I've never been a sports person. I just see it from the outside. I mean, what happens with the Olympics eventually? Well, I remember when they used to test the athletes, if they had too much testosterone, they weren't allowed to compete in you know, women's weightlifting and such. That was actually a thing. I don't know what the status is of it today. And, and for the, the you know, female to male transitioning, that's not part of what we're talking about today. Because what we really want to focus on, what's the impact of women when the language 
is trying to erase them. And so I've got a, a really hard question for you. We had recent confirmation hearings for the justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. The nominee and now soon to be justice, Ketanji Brown Jackson, had to pretend that she didn't know what a woman is. I mean, we know that she knows, but can you imagine you're about to become one of the seven people helping us stay within the lines of the Constitution? And she says, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. And you know that there was a cadre of people out there that said, you know, you can't bring in a biologist. So the question I want to ask you is this, how should the nominee have responded to the question, what is a woman? Well, first of all, let me just say, I was astounded, shocked, and I felt let, let down as a woman. I, I thought she handled herself so well through the confirmation. I mean, what is she meant to say? Born a female with a uterus? Why would they, the question for, for me was very odd, but I understand with the environment now, you know, uh, capable of giving birth, uh, I don't know what how one would say. I mean, it's I can't believe we've actually got to this point where someone has to ask that question. To me, it's astounding that that should even be uh, a question. Astounding, she is afraid to answer it, uh, and this is someone that's going to be, as you say, making decisions. Yeah, and and you know that she she knew. Of course she knows. She has two children sitting there. You know, her husband didn't give birth to them. Right. And and now birth, I don't think, is the measure of a woman necessarily. Many women choose not to have children, and still other women are unable to have them. That doesn't make them any less a woman. Absolutely not. I just wonder, is there a middle ground here someplace where the achievements of women and the special things about womanhood and the actual words can celebrate women at the same time that we're not negatively affecting people that might be, you know, perhaps not binary or transsexual or something. Is there a middle ground here someplace? I respect their language. They respect my language. That's all. I'm a woman. I'm not, uh, I'm a woman. I'm not a cisgender or whatever they say. They're trans woman or trans man, just respect it. That's it. They they just have we just have to respect each other and coexist. That's all. They will always be trans women. Um, I mean, but they are not women in the same way as I'm a woman. You know, it's as simple as that. I'm you know, I I mean I don't mean disrespectful to them, but I was born with a uterus. I was born with, you know, ovaries, um, a womb. They, 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 they can have that manufactured. I understand that. And I understand they can do, they're not going to get their periods. They're not going to suffer period pains, uh, their monthly cycle. They're not going to feel the, the cysts that some women get through when they get their periods. It's, we, we, it's just different. The same way, and not to be crude here, I will never know what it is like to feel a man to, you know, have an erection, uh, you know, it's so, so it's, it's a lot of it's just common sense. It's different. I'm not taking it away from them. If they want to become a woman, they want to become a man, that's entirely up to them. I have nothing, but just stop 
pushing me further and further and further away and making it look like I do not exist any longer. Yes, I do exist. The pushback that you might get is they're not wanting, quote, to become a woman or to become a man. They're saying, no, this is who I am, accept who I am, my external views. And I think the nuance that you're putting on that is, hey, accept this is my definition of a woman. This is what womanhood means to me. And it's okay for us to teach our young people that that is an acceptable type, that we don't have to degender the language. We don't have to degender healthcare. In England, they've asked for a separate private space in the hospitals after they give birth, when they transition. They don't want to be in a ward full of women. So the females that become the males and then get pregnant don't want to be in the same ward as the women. Whatever reason that is, they don't feel comfortable. Now, that's fine if that's what they choose to do. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. What would a a fair and open and inclusive society look like? And, you know, what language would we be using? And what would we do about the birthing people in the ward that were uncomfortable with the other brand of birthing person? What, What should our society look like? I think you just have to choose your own language and choose the world you want to be in. Just choose. I'm not asking you. I'm just saying to you, not to you, but to the people, I'm a woman. You choose to be whatever you like. You can use your own language, your own name, but stop trying to erase me. After your your column appeared in the Wall Street Journal, did you get any vitriol or your pushback, negative commentary coming your way? I have to say that before I did the column, I discuss, we, you know, my husband and I discuss everything, what, every book he writes, every column, everything. I, and um, he said, it's going to be very bad. And I said, okay, so let's, you know, I, I'm a big girl, I can take it. And there was nothing. There was, a, you know, a couple of feedbacks where, I mean, I got over a thousand private on the newspaper, every you know, all over. Um, it was maybe one or two uh, transgender community just said that I did not understand what they were going through, but they weren't mean. They were not nasty. I have to say, I, I didn't get cancelled by anyone. Um, I, I was very, very surprised, and pleasantly surprised. Um, so, and, and most of it was men and women coming out saying, you know, I mean, on the Wall Street Journal, I think there was about 755. Thank you so much for doing this. You're speaking for us. We're too scared to speak. Doctors, nurses, um, mothers, fathers, uh, all different nationalities, uh, young people, old people, uh, professional, non-professional, uh, just, just saying that what they felt needed to be said, but they don't have, they have more to lose than me, maybe, or they're just too scared because they're frightened they'll be um, canceled by their family, by their friends, let alone their jobs. Some of them have corporate jobs and maybe the corporations would be uncomfortable. Um, It's just to me, this is such a ridiculous conversation. I have to tell you, this is not difficult. You know, first of all, if there's a lady's bathroom and a man has a penis, he should be in the men's bathroom. I'm sorry. That's my feeling. Even if he feels like a woman, it's uncomfortable for us as women. 
Well, I, obviously I, I don't know the experience, um, you know, and I could also imagine that uh, someone that presents well as a female going into a private stall, nobody would ever know. No, I look, I have a girlfriend that transitioned. She's had the whole thing done. As I said, she's in her sixties. She uses the ladies room. No one would know. But when you actually still have your body parts, it's, it's very uncomfortable for us, I have to tell you. And especially when you have a young mother with children, they don't know what to do. Well, we've had that in various salons and, and things. And um, it's an adjustment that our society is making. And it is very difficult because uh, women have come a long way in, in getting mm-hmm. um, free of strict gender roles. Uh, that we have more women going to college today than men. Um, many attorneys, uh, doctors, um, higher professionals. There's a woman running General Motors. Um, would have been unthinkable 50 years ago. We have a woman as the vice president of the United States. And I guess my concern, would, if, if I was reflecting what you're telling me, is that their accomplishments as women can be undone if we call them something other than women, they, these are women that have accomplished a tremendous amount. And, and the language is at risk of taking that away. Well, it is a risk. And I don't think, I mean, I speak to a lot of trans people and know quite a few. They don't all agree with this. I think it is a small that is pushing this agenda. And I think it's a very small group. So my friends that have gone through the transition have gone through to become, whether it's a man, or a woman, and just get on with their life. And I have one female that I know very well um, who became a a man about 10 years ago, and they just want to get on with their life. They don't want to stand there with a plaque saying, I'm a trans, I'm a trans. They just want to get on with their life. They either want to get married or they want to get a job. or You know, they just want to get on with life. They don't want to making, you know, they have everything they need. So... This is becoming, I think it's, this, it's the loudest group, obviously. And I don't really know. You get the feeling that somehow something or someone behind is pushing and pushing and pushing. And, but I don't know who or where. I haven't dug that deep to find out. Well, I hope that you turn your investigative skills that way. Because, look, I think what you're expressing would be a very common thing that we're tortured by language, we're, we're torturing the language because we're trying to not step on any toes or not be offensive. But eventually, you kind of can't cancel everything or redefine everything. Well, we're not stepping on anyone's toes if you just coexist. That's all you have to do. You have your language, and I can have my language, and we can coexist, and there's no problem. There's no problem. Live your life. Do what you want. Go where you want. I have no problem with that, but let me live my life. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Trisha, anything that we didn't talk about today that maybe we should have talked about or any closing thoughts? Because I think you've you've really you know kicked the hornet's nest a little bit, and I applaud you for doing that. Well, I think the, um, the AMA and the Pediatric Association say all doctors now have to be uh, gender-affirming for the children. And I think we're, you know, we're stepping on prickly ground there. 
um, I know for a fact myself, and I'm one here, was a real rowdy little girl. <laughs> you know, in the old days, we used to call it tomboy. I don't know if you can call it anymore. Um, I, uh, medicine is going so woke and it's costing science sometimes and it's parents and children. I think we need to slow up a little bit. I really do. I think we need to just slow up a little bit. If, for supposition, you know your child does get to a point where he or she needs to transition, just give them time to grow and see. I think we're just really pushing this very quickly along the road. And I think it's, it's, um, I think we're going to suffer the consequences in the future. Well, these are profound changes and whether language leads society or society leads language is a, is a debate for another time that there is science based. I think that your plea to coexist is something everybody needs to hear and this uh, willingness to for people to be offended quickly. And at the same time, it, it always comes down to, can we be kind to one another, no matter what manner a person chooses to live their life? Yeah, but we've lost our ability to debate. We can no longer debate. I remember many, many years ago when Gerald used to go on the TV show, if anyone remembers it, called Crossfire. Mm-hmm. And you could take a subject, Kennedy assassination, and you would go back and forth. And then afterwards, go out for a drink or a coffee, whatever. Um you know, people resort now to name calling. If if you say one thing, you're a Republican. If you say another thing, you're a Democrat. You can't have an opinion anymore. It's the one thing. You must think this way and no other way. So I think it's we have to loosen up a bit again, get our sense of humors back. I think we've lost our sense of humors completely. And try, you know, understand that we don't all think alike. Now, that's not to say that size right and that size wrong but you know somewhere you can meet in the middle um there's common ground there somewhere right but we've lost it because everybody is so offended by everything um i'm i'm a journalist so i believe in freedom of the press there are books that are being cancelled now like um agatha christie's um and then there were none i mean i don't agree with that so there's so much going on to me, that is just crazy. You know, um, I think we need to slow down a bit. I uh, applaud you for bringing the issue to the fore. And what you've described is what we hear from a lot of writers at Substack, that it is possible to hold two different thoughts in one's head at the same time. I've written columns about that and done podcasts about that very topic. The very essence of the common bridge is, Let's find places we agree. And there are higher purposes like kindness, like acceptance, like tolerance that we used to talk about versus this one size fits all. Let's smash the other side. You've been a terrific guest for us today. Thank you for having me. And we'll continue to follow your writing. And I'm so glad that you joined us on the Common Bridge. Of course, the Common Bridge available at Substack.com, most podcast outlets. And on YouTube TV, please look us up. Please get a free subscription or paid subscription. Join in the dialogue. We've got lots of guests, lots of perspectives. Please jump in. It's not for the partisans. If you're wedded to party A or party B, you're not going to like the content. But if you want to have good good (laughs) conversations, please come in. And with our guest today, Patricia Posner, bestselling author, this is Rich Helpy, your host, signing off.
on the Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on the Common Bridge. Please subscribe to the Common Bridge on Substack.com, where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to Substack.com and search for the Common Bridge and subscribe.